Hello and welcome to Property Matters, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. You can find this weekly property show live every Sunday on propertymatterstv.co.uk or by searching Property Matters TV on YouTube or Facebook. Whenever and wherever we go live, when you're enjoying the show, we'd love your comments, please. And if you'd like to email us, the address is hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. Property Matters is also available as a podcast, uh, available on the Monday morning after the Sunday show at 10 a.m. from wherever you get your podcast from. So let's take a look at this week's property news with our property expert, Joe Joshi. Hi, Joe. Yes, good morning um, and uh, hello to everybody. What a week. Uh, well, there's never a dull moment in property. It's all happening at the moment, isn't it? Um, <laughs> is it going up? Is it going down? Is it going sideways? I mean, it's just like the buzz, buzz, buzz going on. So we'll try and keep on top of it for you. Yeah, there's a lot of talk this week, isn't there, Joe, about what the Chancellor's going to do in his uh, statement that's coming up on the 17th of November, this coming Thursday, as a matter of fact. And a lot of uh, talk in the press about the fact that he's going to hammer landlords and uh, property owners with uh, rises, potential rises in capital gains tax and inheritance tax. But uh, we won't dwell on that today. We'll look at that when we have the facts next week, I think is the, a wise thing to do. And uh, let's get into our first story, which is uh, key point for selling homes in late 2022. thought this was quite interesting this week. We've often featured things like this, haven't we, Joe, where we've talked about uh, the things that people really look for when they're looking to buy a property. But there's some interesting ones that have come into this list here. So I thought we'd share this with uh, the dear viewer today. Uh, oranges are in, orangeries are in rather, and conservatories are out, which is controversial, Joe. Throughout 2022, we've seen a rise in the popularity of orange, oh, I can't say orange trees, orangeries. <laughs> That's it, which could be to do with uh, us being accustomed to spending more time at home and as a result feeling uh, that we've got that sun trap appeal because there's always a problem with conservatories and obviously either it's too hot or too cold, but the orangeries are sort of somewhere in the middle. So um, they're in definitely and conservatories are out. What's your view on that? Are you seeing that, Joe? I think that, um, you know, conservatories stroke orangeries um, are just a matter of, um, where they end up. So if, for example, you've got a, a property that doesn't allow for much space in the garden, then you do end up with a conservatory because it's kind of just looking for that extra space, extra room that you might be able to have or, or somewhere to um, turn into a study or just, just generally enjoy a little bit of the warmth that does come through that. The orangery, I suppose, is the posher end for what it's worth. Uh, it has a roof on it without having the plastic or the glass as, as such, but theoretically it does the same thing. It's just that it sounds obviously a lot posher, doesn't it, having an orangery, or in your case, an orange tree. Um, and um, <laughs> so, so um, but yeah, I think uh, they have been very, very popular. Conservatories, Paul, were always popular to, to purely because they were just another simpler way to add another room to the property. Uh, also, there wasn't any issues about planning um, because they didn't see them as a major addition. It was you know done, done above the surface, even though there's a little bit of uh, footings there, but not the original footings and foundations that one would have for um, for a house or an extension. So. It was kind of a, a bit of a loophole, should say, that it allows you to have the extra room without having to go through the whole rigmarole of, of planning. But they certainly were very, very popular throughout the pandemic, 
um, there's no doubt about it. Um, and because people were having to consider working from home and, uh, and needed extra space and extra room. Um, so I think they, they, there's definitely a demand for them. And the orangery is, of course, you know, when one lives in the countryside, one has to have an orangery as opposed to a conservatory, I suppose. So that's how it would be. Is there any difference in the planning that you need? I mean, you, we, we know that at certain size, up to a certain size, three metres, I think it is, isn't it? A, a conservatory, uh, you can put one up without uh, having to get permission. But uh, is it the same with the orange tree? Because they tend to, to, to be some more of a brick-built um, uh, affair right to the roof, but with the, the glass section in the top. Yes. Um, because, Like I said, it's because of the footings and the foundations that you've had to allows so when you're going to put a, a, a brick building as such then some element of planning is going to be required hence why the conservatories are probably more popular than than the orangeries and also you know even though if you're constructing a proper orangery with footings and foundations planning you're also taking up a little bit more space than you perhaps would do with a um a um upvc um uh, fa uh, frame as opposed to a brick frame because all of a sudden the brick frame you're taking the the width of the the brick itself and 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 maybe the breeze blocks and all sorts of other things that'll start so more space is required i would think if you're looking to put an orangery up less space is required and a bit more malleable with a conservatory um, the end result is they do pretty much the same um, it's just that the average three bed terrace semi-detached type of property may only be able to host a conservatory as opposed to a orangery um, but yes the, the the demand has definitely been there uh, without a shadow of a doubt like i said it's the cheaper option of having another room added to your property it's quite ironic really um, from my perspective thinking about this because they're saying here that uh, in the up and coming uh, colder months it's nice to be able to host a dinner party in your orangery and uh, uh, the irony of it is of course that with all the houses being made into open living they've lost their dining room and now they're putting the dining room in the orangery yes i i, I was reading that uh, earlier on about that and i mean that that changed a lot didn't it in in um the pandemic it was actually the demand of a uh, dining room study separate living room the kitchen not being knocked into one all of those was far far higher than the open plan because basically if you were working from home and you had the children in one corner you know wanted to place on the, the, the racetrack or something and, and the missus cooking and you're trying to do your zoom call it just wasn't going to happen um, and then orangeries and conservatories came in and thought I'll go and lock myself in that or as the normal cases with with chaps they get a little shed at the bottom of the garden and so that they they're chucked over there and you know that's 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 their orangery and conservatory and hideout probably and peace um but um yes i mean the designs were changed a lot in um uh probably about 15 20 years ago now when everything became open plan they took out all the walls and actually then during the the um covid time i we noticed that a lot of people were putting them back in because they realise that it just wasn't working at home. If you've got the whole lot at home, um, where do we escape to? You just can't. So yes, then maybe one's dinner party was going to be at the orangery, but then you're spending spending a lot of <laughs> a lot of money to try and get an orangery in there. 
Um, so yeah, it it, it 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 certainly brought things home to roost as far as um, the lifestyle and the living accommodation that we actually now need. And actually, it's a continuation, isn't it? Really, because even though that was a pandemic time, what has happened is that um, uh, people are still continuing to operate from home some days um, and, and realize that really they do need that extra room or that extra space where they can go and do their um, their Zoom calls and so forth and just be away from the, the, the hustle and the bustle of the family. And just for the benefit of balance, of course, Joe, it may well be the mister at the kitchen sink doing their cooking as well. It's not just the missus. <laughs> yes, of course, it's very possible. <laughs> That, uh, anyway, you, 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 might, you might be doing your paraphrase. I know you like to do those, so uh, <laughs> I didn't want to play you out. So. <laughs> I'll just keep you on the straight and narrow. Don't worry. So open plan living, 60% of people in the UK say they much prefer open plan living. So if you haven't got your um, kitchen and dining room knocked into one these days, you really are taking yourself out of a lot of the marketplace by the sound of it. 60% is a high figure for people who want open plan living, but they... I guess we all quite like that spacious, airy feel. And now we've got these bifold doors that we can put across the back of the property. And I suspect that's a reason why the conservatory is suddenly unpopular, because you've got to take that down to put your bifolds in. So everybody wants that kind of airy space at the back of the house looking out onto the garden, don't they? The good thing about having a property, of course, is that we have all these these uh, situations like the the pain of having the bifold doors and a conservatory or not a conservatory, maybe an orangery, not an orangery, maybe bifold doors, maybe patio doors, maybe a you know, long garden, short garden, you know, all of these things. It's not just about the properties, it's all those fellas that are gonna be kept busy trying to appease your mind's eye and think, oh, well, actually I prefer to having bifolding doors, so let's knock this out and start here again. So it keeps, keeps the, uh, the wheels of the property industry uh, rotating quite nicely, really, I think. Interesting one, this actually. Um, exterior lighting. I, I suppose you, know, you often drive past these houses these days with these very trendy angular LED lights on the front of the houses and, and obviously, uh, you know, um, um, approach lights to keep uh, keep everyone safe and have uh, the, the, the chance of burglary, of course, reduced as a result of having good lighting around the property. I mean, that's always been a, 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 an obvious one to, um, to have. But it's interesting that, that that seems to appeal all of a sudden. I mean, you know, most houses have exterior lighting now, but are they, do you think they're talking about these very trendy LED things that we, we see on properties now? Is that what they're after? Yeah, I think uh, there's, there's a lot of LED solar-powered um, lights. So um, one can be a little bit more flamboyant and because obviously with the prices of electricity nowadays, you don't particularly want to be lighting your place up like a Christmas tree, knowing that you've got to cut the, keep the bills um, low down. But there are so many more of these um, LED type of operations with uh, solar panels, uh, solar uh, powered cells in them that allows them to, to have that. And yes, I, th I think, you know, it really enhances a house. But um, what I would say um, at this point for anybody is more than lights, you know, get your names of the houses or the numbers put up much more clearly. Nothing is worse than trying to drive down somewhere with a car up your backside and trying to find a number or a name 
and absolutely wonderfully they've stuffed it shoved it up in a tree branch because that was the nearest thing they could nail it to and and it's of course blended into the wood of the back of the tree and you no longer can read it but it's there and they've made the right effort so if anybody wants to make a really good conscience about their property maybe put a number that is legible and a light or goes onto the number or even the name and that might be kind of kind of funky really and people could actually find you but of course if you don't want to be found you won't put lights on it or you won't put numbers on it and then people drive up and down hoping that they find it by by process of elimination and i'm saying that from my point of view uh, not not being the the cook in the house uh, paul but being the agent um that uh, you know when i when i'm out there trying to find somewhere i mean it's an absolute you know farce to try and find the houses and yes it's nice to have a funky led light but if it's not shining on the number or the name it really isn't doing its job that sounds like a bitter experience there um greenhouses is the next one on the list which is interesting um 27 million people enjoy gardening in the uk we're reliably informed here um and i suppose uh, having had such a great summer this year people are mindful of the fact of how much they managed to get to use a garden or would have liked to have used a garden if they'd had one so uh, greenhouses so that you can sort of grow your own veg and things like that i suppose and um, and, and and have a hobby um and obviously the garden being well well maintained it's always been a, an obvious one i guess joe hasn't it really i think the guard the thing thing in the uk the garden actually nine times out of ten is far better than the interior in most cases people love their gardening and they they seem to spend a lot of time and energy out in the garden number of things once it's there it's almost you know fresh to the eye and you think oh that's that's pretty it looks nice Secondly, you know, fresh air as you're out and about and, and doing those. And it's kind of almost an instant um, relief of, of sort of, um, you know, feel good factor when you've got a nice garden and the roses are out and the grass is cut. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a keen gardener as per that to say, but I would totally enjoy, enjoy a, a lawn that's been cut nicely and then you can put your table out and put your pint out there and all of a sudden it, it just feels and tastes better uh, but uh, so i so i think i think the the, the gardening aspect is very high on the agenda and of course as um an agent um i've always um been advocate in saying that those first impressions are very very important so um and and as as british as english uh, goes they love the garden I'm not going to say that that is the biggest love for many people because I find that as soon as there's a nice garden, most people tarmac it at the front to stick their cars on it or, or, or the trailer or other bits. And then the, the, the love of the garden goes from the front. But the back gardens definitely make a, a lot of effort. And it's no surprise with three quarters of Brits now saying that they feel they have a better work-life balance as a result of hybrid working, working from home. The other big one on the list, the top five, was the home office, of course, which uh, has become the sought-after thing. It's, it's often that, that third or second small bedroom, isn't it, Joe, that they can convert into the office. Um, and uh, this, this, this one and the open plan living really top of people's uh, agenda when looking for a property. But um, I guess if you haven't got that extra bedroom, it's quite hard to make one. Yeah, I mean, the only places that those bedrooms can be uh, added to is in the loft, because normally the loft area is, is kind of the dead area that has never been used. 
But in a house, that's okay because it's part of your structure, your infrastructure. In a flat, you've got to be careful who owns the loft space or the roof area. You might find that you don't. Um, again, um, we've had those experiences when we bought a flat and found that uh, there's a fantastic loft up there and you should be able to go and add another room or two with an ensuite and all that and then locks on the door and says actually you don't own that so can you rip it all out again because that doesn't belong to you so do be careful on on, on those parts in in um flats masonettes etc that you do own or have a right of way or access over the loft but certainly the lofts have been the number one area for growth uh, number two probably conservatory and orangeries as you would say and third one in, in the ranking is probably some sort of basement because there's a lot of people now actually beginning to dig underneath because you know as i've always said even in the in the country you can only go up or down very rarely can you go out because you you're already tired if you're a terrorist and a row of terrace of four houses well you can't go either side can you so and you can't go at the front there's only one area potentially at the back but if you've only got a a 40-foot garden and 15 or 20 foot of that's taken up with an orange or a conservatory you're you're shrinking your little garden area so roof uh, loft area becomes very popular and of course now potentially there's a lot of talk about basements um and um and and taking that office area that study area perhaps into into the lower ground floor the list does seem a little superficial i mean you you know you think about uh, People wanting to buy a property might want to be making sure that the, the heating system is really up to date and uh, efficient. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you, you probably want to be looking at sizes of rooms, for example, south or east facing or west facing or whatever. Those those seem to be not on the list. They're, they're, you know, the things like the exterior lighting and the greenhouse and so on, they're, um, they do seem rather superficial. I just wondered if it was a, a very young cohort of people they were asking. I think you'll also find that it's about what we buy with our eyes. One of my most popular sayings that they go this is, is what we see is what we like. And the other things that we would like to talk about sometimes are things that actually don't become um, attracted to our eyes. So things like outside lighting, if you're driving past, I always say if you're in your car with your partner or your friends or whatever, there are roads you will drive down and you'll all turn around and go, oh, this is a nice road, I'd love to live here. And then you go down to another road, you think, good God, let's get out of here quick. Um, and, and that's part of what we buy with our eyes. And that's why I constantly say that, you know, the exterior of the property should always look the best because people make a decision, not only on the area, but also on the type of house. And if they make a decision on the type of house and on the area, then of course they're looking to pay good money for your house. So actually it enhances the value if you are presenting it well. So it's what we see. So lighting outside, clear signages, good gardens, you know, good fencing, all of those things are things that, you know, um, make it more attractive. So I think um, the people asked are probably not so much they're young or old. I think it's just what they see and they think, oh, that's what's more appealing to me. I'd like a, a nice garden or, or, a, or a, you know, nice lighting the outside. Because as you rightly say, we, we've noticed of late, when you drive past these LED sort of down lighters, up lighters onto the onto the wall or whatever, are are appealing, and then and and you you do take a, a turn of the head and go, oh, well, that's nice. 
well, that, that that's a big house, and it's probably not. It's just that they've actually lit up the pier that's actually outside the house, but all of a sudden mm. it looks much grander or, or bigger, doesn't it? So. Yeah, they certainly do stand out, that's for sure. Um, let's uh, move tack and talk about the six major challenges facing property developers. We've talked a lot uh, on Property Matters about the fact that uh, uh, house building is not going to plan in terms of the government's plan, at least. They're uh, not building enough homes to set to their own targets. Um, <clears throat> and excuse me, the... Um, a new uh, survey that's come out from a company called Unlatch reveals that just one of the many things that they're struggling with property developers at the moment is a 16% drop in construction workers. Um, it's just one of the many challenges facing Britain's housing uh, house builders. And of course, rising cost of materials and the notorious EWS1 form, which in the back end of the whole Grenfell uh, tragedy has become a, a, a big thing for developers. And this is a real thing because the, the, over the past five years, the size of Britain's construction industry workforce has shrunk by 3%, falling from 2.27 million in 2017 to 2.1 million in 2020. 22. So even more startling is the decline that Britain has seen in the number of self-employed members of the construction workforce, which has fallen by 15%, nearly 16%. In fact, in 2017, there were 852,000 workers. Today, there's just 693,000. It's not easy for a property developer out there moment, is it, Joe? No, I mean, property developing is a very challenging area uh, all round. And we've, I've certainly noticed it having discussions with many uh, property developers of a the number of restrictions and the number of um, new measures new uh, laws and things that have been added in order to get things underway and the EWS situation doesn't help because all, all the exterior and the cladding and the firewalls etc and the sprinklers in, in some cases all those extra additions that you've had to add to a development unfortunately uh, are equally expensive as well um, and there, there's a knock-on effect isn't it if you don't do the certain things you don't get the insurance if you don't get the insurance you can't lend money you can't, and it goes on and on and on and on and i think so uh developers are having a tough time over and above that of course as you rightly say the um the cost of the materials is absolutely gone gaga you know it's 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 over the top now um and at the end of the day it's all going to get passed on to the consumers. Are they going to, you know, you're going to have to pay. If you want an extension, you're going to have to pay more to have that extension done. Whether it's labor cost or whether it's material, something's going to come. And even labor cost is gone, you know, absolutely sky high because it, the number of people are less. And skilled people are, are not there. And um, there are many reasons, of course, of why that's not the case. So, yeah, it is. It is. Developers are finding it tough. And I can't understand why the government want to have such targets because when actually half of the rules are created by them in the first place for them to uh, implement and that makes it even even more challenging. Yeah, they're suggesting that uh, Brexit obviously uh, was a main reason why so much skilled labour left the UK. Um, and those that remain are rapidly aging, which is an interesting factor because I was talking to a fairly el elderly <laughs> builder the other day, as a matter of fact, and he said, that uh, he every year as a, as a director, he takes it upon himself to uh, go and find uh, young people who perhaps weren't as academic 
um, but were very good with their hands, that kind of thing. And it talks to families and says, look, you know, um, don't. The other thing being, of course, if you go to university now, the cost that you're going to be left with is so um, so dramatic that um, very often there's, a, there's an apprenticeship there, which is a great way to earn while you while you're training, and you can end up with a with a good career, and you'll always be working. I'm really on on on, on board with that idea, um, uh, but the problem is, it's not as attractive as sitting on your butt fiddling around on a computer and earning the money that uh, that generates and that's the problem I mean, we we don't find the people that want to actually get their hands dirty and get down and you know be a plumber and, and an electrician and all that yet they are doing exceedingly well you know manual work like that skilled manual work is paying extremely well um, and you can hardly ever book a plumber or, or an electrician. I mean, they are booked like, you know, weeks, if not months ahead for work. So there's no shortage. However, it's just not attractive, is it? It's just like getting down on your knees and, and sort of trying to find someone's pipe and fix that and all that kind of stuff. It's just what now isn't. At a time when I was at school, which is obviously a long, long time ago, um, these things were what we were taught. And I think schools are not dealing with that now. And that's where the problem is. We had motor vehicle maintenance, for example, in our school when I was there, and that was kind of exciting. So you used to take an, an engine apart and then put it back together again and, and fire it up. Well, I don't think that that is something that particularly happens. Metalwork, woodwork, TDD, TD, TD, technical drawing, and all that kind of stuff, you know, like we used to do, I don't think exists because it's all now done on, on your computer or your iPad or whatever. And... Um, it doesn't have that same touchy-feely scenario, and I don't think people get attracted. The other problem is the marketing. The marketing of a university is way up there, and that an apprentice isn't as good as it was. But when we were, I was at school, the apprentice was a great role to have um, because you used to say, okay, well, I'm going to do an apprenticeship, and I'm going to get paid, and I'm going to get a qualification, and I'm going to do it. Now, it's like... You know, if you do an apprenticeship, you're obviously not worthy of a, a degree. So that marketing of, of making somebody feel um, wanted and desired has. So I think it's down to schools. I think it's marketing. But I, I would love to be able to turn around and say that, you know, if there was a way that we could create a situation where there's more skilled workers, more people that love to you know work with the hand, there is. And, and one thing that is really good about the UK is that um, we produce some of the best engineers, best some of the best things that we put together. When I think about Crossrail and all those things, I mean that stuff is just incredible. If you ever watch it, how we put, managed to do that, what we what we managed to do, but we're not selling to the youngsters that this has got a a future. It's not as funky as perhaps I don't know, sitting on a laptop. Yes, he was saying that uh, when they get the, the youngsters in, they give them six months before they send them to college um, and they literally attach them to the different trades that are coming in on the build that they're working on 
and ask them just to, to sit with them for a while and work with them and then find which one draws them in the most and then that's what they will become, whether they become a carpenter or electrician or what. But uh, it seemed like a good way of, um, of of getting them to find what it is that they want to do, which uh, which was nice to hear. But again, he's uh, well over retirement age but still working. His 35-year-old son is now running the company for him. But um, uh, interesting to, to, to see that they've got a quite a proactive approach to, to finding young people. But he did admit that it's particularly hard. Um, the other thing, of course, that the developers are, are facing, Joe, is increasing costs, like us all, really. 24% this year, the core materials have gone up. And, of course, there's the supply chain issues as well. Yeah, I mean, the cost of materials has gone absolutely. And not only has it cost gone up, the supply is really behind. So jobs are getting delayed. People are not being able to finish things off because material isn't arriving. Or if it is, you're almost being rationed to what you can have and what you can't have because everybody wants the same same uh, material. For example, plasterboards and chipboards and things like that. You know, people constantly want them to either board up or hoard up, whichever way you want to do it. But there's always, I mean, a huge... A shortage of, of decent plasterboard when I'm talking to people say I know it sounds ridiculous by my friend but the problem is we can't even get the plasterboard you know to do the things that we want to do so yeah there's a huge um, shortage of good material I mean obviously there is cheaper materials available but then you know you kind of resort to that because you want to get the job finished um, and I think um, the other thing I want to just pick up on, on a point you just said there about, you know, the, the gentleman you sp spoke about, whose son uh, is now taking over the business. That is a very, very rare thing that happens because most children do not and are not interested in taking over their parents' businesses. A, mm -hmm. because they've been educated to a level where they don't need to be taken over to that business. And secondly, it's not been something that's been drummed into them. So. You know, the chap you've talked about is a very lucky man to be able to have somebody who is actually going to carry on the business, the good thing that he's done for his family and children. But today that doesn't exist because the children are educated, gone to university and they've gone into something completely different. And whatever you're doing is not something that is attractive to them anymore. It was good enough for you, but it's not good enough for them. Another challenge that they've got is poor build quality, Joe. They're suggesting that uh, actually low productivity um, and the standard of work, very poor. Um, and we're below uh, other countries in terms of our productivity. Uh, and the standard of new builds needs to be better. They're saying that there should be a, a need to refine building codes, make them stricter, uh, a strong review process or stronger review process, and also the adoption of digital technology which are a few of the ways that they can support the better build quality. What's your view of build quality, particularly on new builds, Joe? Well, I think the build quality is normally quite appalling. Um, we've been through some experiences ourselves with clients that have been building, um, and you know, part of it is blamed on the materials, part of it is blamed on, on the kind of labour that they get in to do it, the skill set. Part of it is because they want to cut cost and try to make as much profit. And therefore that you know quality doesn't tend to come through uh, and the few that do come through obviously do well but 99.9 percent .9 of them are not coming through that and the irony of that is i often ask myself how is it that back 100 years ago we were a bit we have built people have built like um, i don't know let's take the, the natural history museum building in london where i go past that every time i wonder to myself you know my god look at this thing this was like built hundreds of years ago it's looking great it's still looking great 
and no issues, no building construction issues and so forth. Yet we put these modern boxes up and have nothing but trouble with them. Um, it's like Meccano sets and you think to yourself, well, what, how can't we do that simple uh, building easier when you've got this complex building like um, like the Natural History Museum and castles, etc., etc., which were built obviously to precision and for longevity, which they're still lasting many, many years later. So it's, it's just about, I think, um, the cheapness of, of of what we're trying to do, and um, and, and and the skill sets that we are, we're getting. If you had an old property, and you had to make sash windows, for argument's sake, or you had to make um, something that was internal in keeping, I mean that skill is so rare that you end up paying a king's ransom. I'll say a king's ransom because we now have a king, a king's ransom. Um, for um, for the for the for the build cost uh, because it's impossible to find the the skill set to do such things. Yeah, the EWS form we mentioned it earlier on, Joe. Um, the builders are reporting that it's taking up to a year to get one for the property. So when they build sort of a, a, a rise of uh, flats, for example. It's taking up to a year to get this, of course, and mortgage lenders won't lend until there is an EWS one um, in place, of course. Um, and this is leading to a huge backlog in transactions. I wasn't aware of that, was you? Well, yeah, I mean, it's not just the huge transactions. It's the huge cost that is being put up by the builder sitting there waiting for these things to happen. Um, it's a mess. In all honesty, um, something that is fairly simple is now more complex. Um, and it's complex by virtue of the people that have made it complex and, and bringing it in and so forth. And of course, current market trends and things like, you know, Brexit and uh, the, the pandemic and all sorts of other scenarios that have happened have not made it easier for people to actually engage into those. So, yeah, those costs, whatever the costs are being passed down. And hence, we are where we are at the moment. I'm guessing that, uh, you know, as we've seen with the Grenfell inquiry, that uh, people are very unwilling to put their name to things unless they're a thousand percent sure everything's OK now, because obviously there was a lot of um, shortcuts and corners um, uh, taken uh, rather rather swiftly to, uh, to, to, to get those things in the first place. And uh, now it's all unravelling, of course, in the inquiry, and, and which has just come to an end this last week, as a matter of fact. Uh, and I guess people are a little bit reticent to, uh, to be so um, um, forthcoming. Yeah, I mean, naturally, you're going to be cautious. I mean, who wants to put their name to something that's going to cause them, you know, trouble, let alone the grief and the upset is caused the people that have lost their lives and the families that have lost their loved ones. I mean, though, that's just that's ins insurmountable, isn't it? So nobody wants to be the person that is going to be had a go at. Um, and like I said, those those situations are what have made it more complex um and and the more complex it becomes the more expensive it becomes and subsequently the delay that happens happens um and yeah so that's why the governments are behind on their their numbers on the other hand um the government turns around and says well you you've got to pay for this you've got to pay for that you've got to pay for this that isn't healthy either because obviously nobody wants to continue to have a constant bill on their hand uh, for things like especially taxation and then you almost want to say, well, okay, it's not worth me building it. What's the point of me doing it? You know, it's not worth doing it. So then we have this homelessness situation when they're saying that, oh, we, you know, we need all these homes and we haven't got big homes to, 
to give to people. So it's a bit of a knock-on effect, Paul. Last one on the list, mothballing land sites. Apparently this is happening more and more at the moment. Uh, builders are thinking, mm, looking at these interest rates, looking at the mortgage costs, looking at the material costs, looking at the lack of labour as we just discussed. Do you know what? I think I'll just uh, put that bit of land to one side and I'll uh, come back to that when things look a little bit better. And of course that's been exacerbated by the fact that they've been getting into build to rent, which we've talked about several times on the show, because there's been a huge rise in that side of the industry since the COVID lockdown and uh, uh, probably a little bit simpler to get your return on. Yes, I mean, mothballing is, is <clears throat> if you bought a site cash and you don't have borrowing on it of any sort, then you can afford to mothball it. If you have borrowed on it and borrowed maybe at the higher rate or the higher percentage, then yes, developers, builders, alike are thinking you know what i can't continue to pay for this indefinitely so it's better for me to either get rid of it or or, or find a route that's going to happen if it's not going to be planning and if it's not going to be the fact that they're going to build it or they can they can get around to do it they are either selling it or as you as you rightly say if they got the money and they bought the cash they are mothballing it because there's too many regulations and too many restrictions and also nobody has, and whilst I'd love to say that Mystic Meg and I are quite well related in terms of uh, uh, finding the future and, and saying things like that, for the first time I would say that there are things that are now not in our controls and there's a combination. We've had a co In history, you know, my old 40 odd years, it's been the interest rate that has been the driver. It goes up, it goes down, it kind of controls its stamp duty, we know those we know those mechanisms that have allowed us to, you know, uh, understand and adjust. And now there is the curveball that's come through called uh, utilities, uh, and it all came in at the same time. Um, and so that caused a huge issue because obviously there's gas, electric, petrol. I mean, I was dumbfounded to see that I went past a petrol station and it is actually 198. So we are not far from two pounds for a, a litre or a gallon of petrol. Oh, diesel, well, sorry, diesel, not petrol, diesel. Um, and so all of those costs have all come in at the one time. Um, that has thrown a lot of things off, offline. Um, and so, you know, there will be a massive adjustment um, that one was not normally ex expecting or and, and normally saying. So there will be a lot of parking in neutral for a while until they can adjust which way it's going to go um, in terms of... Um, you know, what, they, what, what the build's going to be at, at the end. Who'd be a property developer in 2022, eh, Joe? Well, the good thing is that we're nearly at the end of 2022. So let's <laughs> look forward to 2023. And maybe you'd be a developer in 2023 once uh, some of this has been tidied up. So next weekend, we'll be looking at the, uh, the results of the Chancellor's statement. Have you got any hunches of how that's going to pan out for property owners and developers? Yeah, I suppose the reality is that we're going to get hit. Why are we going to get hit? Because obviously, whilst the pandemic was on, most people did okay out of the property side of it. So it will be property that will do. Most people invest in property. Um, and that's why there's a bit of a break on in, in that. But it won't, it won't kill it. Because one thing is that you can't, um, you know, kill the, 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 uh, the, the golden egg. And the golden egg is property. And people will continue to want to buy. At the moment, the first-time buyers are... Are definitely struggling because the um, cost of borrowing has gone up. Uh, affordability calculators are not allowing them to borrow what they wanted to borrow and so forth. 
um, and then, and, but that will get adjusted. That will get adjusted with that, uh, um, you know, correction that is going to happen um, because of those situations. So I think within the next three to six months, we'll be back on track. Um, and we were, we would have done all right, but you know, a certain lady came in for about 30 days and completely bomb blasted the whole world. And, um, you know, that, um, that is, that's the, those are the shrapnel we're now picking up basically. Um, but we'll get through. Indeed. Yes. I mean, that day when the Chancellor stands up and makes his statement will be with us very, very soon, as will next Sunday when we will be back with another Property Matters next Sunday, 10am.